There's 162 games of the baseball season and winter comes along just to end it. So the annual problem for a baseball fan is finding a good way to watch it. Like maybe going to the park or watching on TV or just catching the highlights. Watching Donaldson strike out again or seeing Judge hit 62 bombs. Bang! Bogart's leaving town, Kike making plays or Kenley closing the door. Debating with your friends, making dumb bets, or complaining about the umps again. As you can tell, there's a whole lot of stuff to hear before winter comes again. Let's go, y'all. So chill with us, because Gamby and Beal are going to say it all. So chill with us, because Gamby and Beal are going to say it all. Man, Fred, Gamby and Beal made a podcast. Hello and welcome back to season two of the Yank Your Socks Off podcast, a podcast produced by two best friends who despise each other's baseball teams, but love each other anyways. We hope you enjoy. Thank you for tuning in now to the show. Hello and welcome back to the Yank Your Socks Off podcast. I'm one of your hosts, the Yankees fan of this podcast. I don't know if I'm very proud to say that anymore after just getting swept by the Red Sox, but I am still named Andrew Gambardella III. And joining me, as always, the Red Sox fan of this podcast, somebody who just had the Nuggets, his Nuggets win it all, and just had the Red Sox sweep my Yankees, Mr. Matthew David Beal. Beal, I I don't think I need to say, ask you how you're doing, but in, uh, in honor of being being your best friend. How are you doing? Sweep. I'm doing awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, honestly, I think I was saying this last podcast, but um, I've definitely gotten out of the the baseball mode, but this weekend definitely reeled me back in. Um, Just watching the Red Sox smoke the Yankees and beat them like a million to zero on Saturday. uh, Sorry, Friday. And then ran out, obviously, Saturday, doubleheader on Sunday on Father's Day. It was pretty fun. That was an exciting time. Um, and uh, and just seeing the bullpen work Saturday, uh, Sunday morning and then uh, Bayo uh, conclude the series on Sunday night was was pretty sweet. So, um, yeah, I, I got to say it was it was a pretty good weekend. and I'm feeling pretty happy. And uh, I, I'm definitely back in the baseball mode because the Red Sox have definitely um reeled me in um yeah I I mean I I know you probably don't want to talk much about the series but I I think there was a lot of uh good uh problem or good problems um I I would say problems that were addressed in good ways and uh you know one of those is starting pitching and kind of where we're gonna get our innings from and um guys like Bayo and Whitlock have really stepped up recently and um and that was uh, on the big show uh, against the Yankees this weekend. And um, Bayo concluded the series with a seven-inning uh, one-run game. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I got to say I'm pretty happy with where we're at. And uh, it's good to have uh, Adam Duvall back. Had a couple of big hits this series. And um, obviously, you know, Doogie, uh, Duran, and uh, Devers are all just – killing it at the top of the lineup. Massa had his first four-hit game in the MLB on Friday. Um, yeah, it's it's been a good week, uh, 
to say the least. It's, uh, you know, obviously after the Nuggets win, I was just hoping to get back into baseball a little bit and to appreciate it like I did earlier in the season. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I wasn't expecting this quite um, at, at this point in the year at least. But uh, taking three from your Ailey's rival and uh, the team that you're competing for a wild card with is, is pretty huge. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, the Yankees are done. I'll continue to say it. I've said it for the past month already, or month plus. They're done. Uh, this team without Aaron Judge is abysmal. Yeah, I, I didn't. I mean, you just summed it up pretty well. I, especially with the lineup, we can't score. And then our pitching staff, there too much of the burden comes down on them. Again, on the first game of this doubleheader on Sunday. We had an excellent performance yet again by Clark Schmidt, go Gamecocks. But again, for some reason, left him in a little bit too long and he called on the wrong reliever that day. Yes, Michael King is our best reliever, but he he just didn't have it uh, uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, which led us to losing that first game. And, and I'm not going to put it on him. To me, Aaron Boone just continually – does not know how to manage this pitching staff. I mean, every single time he seems to make the wrong move. And this is probably just too much heat coming down. But when it comes to the players we have paid on this roster and the talent that we have on this roster, there is no way this team should be just barely above 500 right now and barely hanging on to a wild card spot. I don't think this team is even going to make the playoffs. And honestly, that makes me a little bit, because usually when the Yankees miss the playoffs, it's like the world is falling down. If the world is coming to an end, right? And when it when it comes to the New York newspapers and the New York media and the New York fans. And I will feel that way. And hopefully that brings along a lot of change, whether that's a change at coach or a change in the front office or a change in letting some of these players go, making a big trade, doing something to you know, change this roster and put some life into this roster. Maybe, you know, we trade everything for Shohei Otani and, you know, we do something big to change this team for the better because where we are right now is a, is an aging middling roster that, and, and franchise that frankly, I think every other team in the major leagues right now is laughing at. And I don't think the Yankees should ever be the laughing stock with the history that we have and just the caliber of talent and the caliber and the amount of money that we have to spend that other teams don't have because of the brand name and the pinstripes and the world of fans that we have from all over the world. So it, to me, it's just, it's baffling how, how lifeless this team is. And, and honestly, the cherry on top this week, Beal, we're going double or nothing this year. Last year, week to week, we did we do a every week we predict the records of our teams. This week, I predicted the Yankees would go two and three because we are bad without with our without Aaron Judge. I, I thought they would be able to manage two and three, and only all that meant they only had to win one game against the Sox in three games in Boston. A last place Sox team, not a. Not a 2018 Sox team, a last place Sox team, and we got well, well, 
we got last swept. place in the AL East. Okay, yes, that means something because this is the best division in baseball. But yeah, nonetheless, like we'd be leading the AL Central right now. <laughs> still, still a team that just lost the series to the Rockies of all teams. It's not a very good team. Like it, there, there's some young good talent, and it, there's a mix and an influx of pretty good talent with Yoshida and and Bello and some young pitchers who are pretty exciting with Garrett Whitlock and, and Tanner Howick being some of those names, but. The, the team just isn't very proven, and, and I don't think this team is going to make a run in the playoffs, let alone make the playoffs either. But it, to me, it's it's embarrassing. And the cherry on top is that you predicted the Red Sox would go 4-1, and one, and they did by sweeping the Yankees, and I predicted they would go 2-3, and three, and they didn't. They went 1-4 and four because they couldn't win a single game against the Red Sox. So – it just makes me upset. You have taken the lead this year. You're up four to three. So you have a chance to uh, to get back at me from last year. And uh, it's been a rough start to the baseball season. But what I am looking forward to is in the next week or two, the next podcast or two, we are doing a full breakdown of every team in the league and all of all of the races within the divisions and the playoffs and our, our season long predictions. So that's going to be a longer podcast coming up uh, when we get clear of the NBA draft um, and the U S open that happened this weekend. Uh, but Beal, yeah, I I'll let you sum up how you felt about the Red Sox this week uh, for the rest of the show today. We're going to talk about, I mean, we're going to talk about a little bit about the NBA and then we're going to finish with the U.S. Open, as I just alluded to. But, Theo, I mean, what is this set? You just said this makes you excited about baseball again. Are you? Do you think the Red Sox can make a playoff push now? Did, did, did that change in your view? Do you think this team actually has some sort of it factor to it that could be make some noise in the playoffs this year? Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's so hard to tell. I, I mean, I always, um, in a, I'm a big believer in personality and, um, it, it like, I guess character. Um, the Red Sox showed a lot of that earlier this season. They showed a lot of tenacity, a lot of games where, um, they were coming back. They, they might still lead the majors in comeback wins. Um, but, uh, I mean, some of that has definitely gone away in the last month or so it it definitely with the impact of injuries like you know sale going down and duvall going down and um you know paxton starting the season late those things just hurt your team and they hurt the morale of the team um i'm excited because i see that starting to come back like as guys like paxton are getting healthy and uh making his way back to the mound and duvall is healthy and story is not far off from um, playing some big league games, I, I'm I'm excited again and, and tentatively so because I don't have an expectation of making the playoffs. I, I haven't had an expectation of that this year. I think we're very capable of w- uh, making it to the playoffs, but I just at this point it's so hard to say. It's so hard to tell if this weekend was a turning point or maybe just a reaffirmation that this team has what it takes in the future but might need some polishing here and there because injuries have killed us this year and you need to be ready for injuries because they're just going to happen and the Red Sox clearly haven't been and so um, I'm worried to get too optimistic because I know 
you know, it's it's never the end of injuries. Most of them happen early on in the year, but um, you know, let's not say that we can't run into issues again and um, be short manned and kind of lose some of that courage and fight that we have in us right now. Um, but what I am seeing is the guys who are on the field are fighting very hard, and they're they're fighting with a passion for this team and. Um, I I really like the chemistry that we have on this team. I, I like, you know, the young guys that have stepped up, the the veterans in the locker room that have made a lot of noise, like Justin Turner and PK Hernandez and uh, Chris Sale, James Paxton. Like, it's it's fun to watch those guys and and then watch some of the newer people come together, like Massa and, um, you know, obviously. Devers has been around for a little bit, but still kind of getting his ropes in the MLB. And uh, Jaron Duran is kind of turning the corner, and Verdugo's having a great comeback season. So, um, and obviously guys like Bayo and Whitlock who are going in stride with their starting roles now. Uh, it's it's fun to watch. I would say I'm excited from a perspective of watching fun baseball and watching winning baseball. I think the Red Sox will end up this season over 500. And I feel like I've been able to reaffirm that over the last couple of games just because I'm able to see who the Red Sox are when, you know, they are mostly healthy. Um, and I, that makes me happy. That means that for the rest of the season, there are going to be series um, and games that they play really well together and um, will be great insight into what the Red Sox might do in the coming years. So for me, that's exciting baseball. Um, again, I, I don't, I don't know about the playoffs. I agree. I think the Red Sox have a lot uh, left to fill in their roster. They have a lot that isn't quite working, especially when the injury plague hits. Um, and you got to be ready for that. And there's definitely some factors that worry me about the Red Sox and um, their ability to be successful in the postseason. So. If we make it this season, that's great. Um, I think it's going to be experience for some of these younger guys. But if we don't, I, I think there's still a lot of great things you could take away from the season. And so far, uh, I mean, there's just been way more positives than negatives. I, I, personally, I just think, you know, with the blossoming of Brian Bayo, Garrett Whitlock, uh, Masataki Yoshida, just proving to be a MLB-ready and caliber player, uh, Verdugo and Duran turning corners and their development and Connor Wong coming up as a everyday catcher and um, you know Cassis starting to find his stride in the last month I, I think there's a lot to be very happy about and uh, yeah I, I can't complain it's, it's fun to watch these guys play yeah uh, honestly I frankly I, I kind of I kind of am starting to uh, starting to believe that that the Red Sox are are honestly a more fun team to watch than the Yankees are right now, and uh, it you know this weekend kind of proved why. Uh, but hopefully, with Bader and and Judge coming back very soon, they again put some life into this team. I I don't know what happened. We have some young guys on this team, and it just feels like we come out flat time and time again especially with the lineup there's no there's no pop there's no life there's no i mean i don't know what happened from the start of the season team was stealing bases hitting home runs doing the little things right um and playing with 
with a lot of fun and uh i don't know it's it's the ebbs and flows of a season but i'll say it again the yankees they're they're just not it this year it's not it's not our year i thought it was last year i'll put my hand up and say i I thought we had something and uh we didn't i got crushed but uh we don't have something this year um and i hope i'm wrong but regardless of that Mr. Beal, let's talk about Mr. Beal and let's talk about the NBA for a little bit with the NBA draft coming up. Uh, your cousin or the more popular Beal, your quote unquote cousin um, who shares the same last name as you, Bradley Beal, got traded to the Suns. Now, a Denver Nuggets team, your Denver Nuggets just won it all. Are you at all now scared going into next season with a big three in Phoenix of Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant? And Devin Booker? Honestly, no. It as a basketball fan, it makes me really excited because um I you know, I, I know the NBA is trying to discourage teams from creating super teams, but as a fan, you can't say it's not fun to watch. Like when these super teams come together and you know, when you have three all star players together along with a borderline all star and DeAndre Ayton, like it's just it's good for the game of basketball and like it's uh it, you know the suns are gonna face the hardships that the nba has imposed on super teams uh that being contract situations and and trying to build depth with just probably veteran minimum contracts it's it's not gonna be an easy route to fielding a team for the suns um and and rightfully so it's it's kind of fun to watch that unfold and that side of the story kind of come together um honestly i'm not really thinking of like you know being scared right now because i'm excited as a basketball fan to see this team come together and what decisions the suns will make to field their team because they're 10 million dollars shy of their cap right now so like to field now they've got five or six players under contract to field the rest of the team is a massive feat. And until then, I, I don't think I'm going to be thinking about this team as a competitor necessarily. I, I'm always kind of, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm rooting for situations like this to come together. I obviously don't want the Suns to be a better team than the Nuggets or then beat the Nuggets in the playoffs, but I do want to see a successful build uh, with the Suns and, um, they've been a really fun team to watch in the last couple of years, and uh, they've definitely changed more than I would have expected them to in the last two years, uh, adding Kevin Durant and then just going all in and uh, trading their absolute last pieces. I, I don't think they have a draft pick till 2027, uh, all for Bradley Beal. So um, it's fun. It, it's exciting for the game of basketball. I, I don't think that they're going to be – um, an overpowered team just because, like I said, the, the NBA imposes a lot of penalties uh, with the new collective bargaining agreement. So it's going to be difficult for the Suns to field the team. I, I think a lot of people are expecting Aiton to be gone uh, for, you know, a couple of bench pieces, whether it's two or three guys that come in um, when you ship his contract out. But we'll see. Uh I just I'm I'm happy for Bradley Beal. I, I think he's wanted to go to a competitor, but also feels like some amount of loyalty to the Wizards. And I, I mean, I can't blame him for it. Like 
it, they were the team that saw him as a rookie, saw him come up and, you know, become the great basketball player that he is. Uh, and he, he seemed to not want to leave. Like he just kept saying, I'm, I'm a wizard. I want to stay here. I want to win here. And he said the right things, did the right things up until his last moment in Washington. And um, I'm just happy for him that he's going somewhere that gives him a chance to go deep in the playoffs and show the, you know, NBA audience what he's got. And I mean, he's just such an impressive basketball player. And I think him, Booker and KD, just the, the mid range machines will pair very well together. They're going to be a scary offense. Um, I, I think their defense is going to be rough. There's going to be tough times. Uh, I, I saw it as a Nuggets fan, obviously the Nuggets have a, a very strong offense and it took them so long to figure out the defensive side of things until the playoffs, honestly, this year. And that's a team that has played together for almost eight years now under the same coach. So I think the Suns are on a massive uphill battle. Um, they don't necessarily scare me yet as a Nuggets fan. I'm not saying that it won't happen. I, I'm sure um, if, you know, the odds, uh, you know, speak for themselves, the, the Nuggets might match up with the Suns in the Western Conference Finals. And at that point, um, I, I won't be super excited to be watching the, the super team of Durant, Booker, and Beal against the Nuggets because uh, of the sharpshooters they are. But uh, but it's gonna be a fun time, and it's it, it's uh, just an exciting time to be a basketball fan uh, when you get to see super teams like that come together. Um, and another thing that I'll be watching closely for is the West clearly has um, valued centers and defensive centers because they know that's their only way to get through the Nuggets in the playoffs. Um, so I'm curious if the Suns value Aiton in that way as a center who can guard Jokic or if they're going to try to flip him for a defensive minded like cheaper center who just is there to foul and bother Jokic in the playoffs so that's just another uh, thing that I've been kind of focusing on Western Conference teams and kind of how they address that Um, and uh, you know obviously when Tim Connolly left the Nuggets went to the Timberwolves and immediately traded for Rudy Gobert. So um, I think that is a very consistent feeling of Western teams. And I think if the Suns trade Aiton and decide to go that route, um, they're they're still going to have to get somebody to guard Jokic and probably cannot rely on the big three that they have because none of them are able to play the post on a guy like Jokic. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The West is definitely trying to take care of that. I think the Suns are going to go a different route. I think they're not done. I think they're going to – there's been a lot of chatter about them trading Aiton. I think they're going to do that. Yes, they're try, going to try to fill around a bunch of defensive-minded players around the – they already have enough scoring with three of the best scorers in the league all on one team. But this team is going to struggle without a capable facilitator on their team. When, when Durant was with the Warriors, Steph Curry, the amount of attention he got, he was able to, to facilitate well with. But they had a Draymond Green who was a very, very accomplished passer. And without a very accomplished passer on this team right now, I, I don't see it working. There's a lot of ball-dominant players who aren't tremendous pass. They're good passers because they're excellent players, right. but they're not right. 
they're looking for their shot first. They're not looking for the shot of others. Um, and you saw with their series against the Nuggets, I mean, they were able to win two games just because Kevin Durant and Booker went nuclear those games. But in the games where they didn't click, their offense was – it was because it's just a lot of one-on-one. And when they're not clicking, it's very tough for them to win games. And it, it I think without they – without Chris Paul in, in that series for the most part, without him for, to facilitate, they weren't able to hang in games uh, without a facilitator. I think they need a facilitator. And I think with, with how tight they are against the cap, I, I really don't think this makes them better than, than the Nuggets until they trade eight and maybe they can get another defensive center, a young center and, um, a decent point guard and a couple other wings off the bench because they had no depth whatsoever off the bench. And uh, if they have no depth once again, I mean, Beal and Durant are aging guys. They, they've had their injury concerns. So uh, if they can't stay on the floor, this team is going to struggle big time. So, for sure. but they're going to make the playoffs. That's for sure. This team yeah. is so talented at the top. They, there's no way that they don't make the playoffs it's can they can they go on a run and and right now i i would not be worried but Beal, i i would i would start to be wary of the suns that's for sure and i definitely Beal. am wary. I, i've always been wary the suns are a tough team and obviously won the most games against the nuggets in the playoffs uh this year and kevin durant and booker were just frightening at times and i've watched bradley play a lot now and you know ever since he was in college i i really enjoyed watching him play his mid-range is just absolute butter there's like there's so few ways to stop a mid-range score at any point in the season but especially in the playoffs i feel like it's just the mid-range scores thrive in the playoffs whether your Jamal Murray, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant. Um, you know, obviously Kawhi lived on his elbow shot. Jimmy Butler lives in the mid range a lot of times. Uh, you know, like these are guys who just get to a spot, shoot, and score, and you can't do anything about it no matter how good of a defender you are, no matter how much uh obstruction you get in their line of view, they just if they get the ball up, it's going in. And uh, and players like that, and there's three of them on the Suns, and that is terrifying to me. If they are able to field the team, if they are able to, you know, play somewhat average defense and be <laughs> able to, you know, <laughs> keep points on the board when their bench is in, then oh, yeah. I'm terrified of the Suns because there's just so few ways to stop a mid range. Uh, you can stop the three point shot. Um, by uh, honestly just like kind of letting it happen sometimes obviously the Warriors are a different case but you know three-point shooting teams always feel like they get into a rut at some point and you got to do your best to guard a three-point team but like you know you know they're going to have high points and low points throughout the game and and that's where a lot of the scoring streaks come from in the NBA but a mid-range scoring team make a team so difficult to beat. And that's why I love watching the Nuggets because Jokic lives in the mid-range. He lives at the rim. He gets two-point buckets on command. And Jamal does the same thing. And that's what made the Nuggets so uh, ruthless on offense because when they weren't hitting threes, they had that to go to. 
Um, the Suns have the three best mid-range scores in the league, probably. And it's just, again, so difficult to stop that. Yeah. Um, that's where you see Booker having those like 20 for 24 field goal percentage nights. Like It's just absurd how efficient you can be from the mid-range uh, when you're that good of a shooter. Yeah, but you got to space the floor, too, and, and shoot pretty good from the three-point line in today's NBA to win championships, yeah. and you got to be able to rebound. None of these guys are excellent rebounders or excellent defenders, and you got to play decent on both sides of the ball. The Nuggets were able to surround Jokic and Murray. Uh, probably, to me, still the best tandem. Uh, they have unreal chemistry, um, and which is why a lot of people are talking about dynasty when it comes to your Nuggets. But when it comes to the Suns team, it, it, it's going to take time for them to mesh and, and for them to build up some chemistry. But you're right. Sometimes just talent overrules. But will the big three prevail? I mean, the big three was the story for the past, for the past, um, you know, decade of, of the 2010 to 2020. But once that turned, I mean, the recent Warriors team with Stephen Clay and, and, and Andrew Wiggins, I don't think you can call that a big three. And they surrounded them and Jordan Poole. They surrounded themselves with solid talent. Uh, the Bucks, you get. I mean, if you want to start the narrative of Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday being that they're solid players, but being on that threshold of being a part of a big three with Giannis, I, I don't think you can make that claim, especially with the likes of Brooke Lopez and Pat Connaughton and, and solid players around them. And and with this Nuggets team, you definitely cannot say there is a big three on this Nuggets team. You could make an argument for a big two, but it's it's really there's one superstar, one all-star caliber player, and and a bunch of very good players who I think Michael Porter Jr. still can blossom into a phenomenal player, but he isn't that right now. So is it a new start of a big three era where, where teams are just tracing three stars to have on the team and you build a bunch of minimum contract decent veterans around them or is it you build from within you draft well you get one superstar and you surround them and build the team around them um and kind of fluidly and uh, organically and and that's what the nuggets were able to do we'll see if other teams are able to do that to to uh to put up a competition against them the suns are going at it their way and i'm sure they're not done making moves yet. So it's an interesting start. To me, the NBA offseason is more exciting than than the season itself. I mean, that's not the case when your team wins at all, obviously. But for a middling team like the Bulls, for me, there's a lot of intrigue. Are, are the Bulls going to trade Zach Levine? Are they going to trade DeMar DeRozan? Are they going to trade Vucevic? What, what's going to happen? Are, are we going to – we don't have a draft pick currently, and the draft – tends itself to have a lot of trades and a lot of movement. And it's this Thursday already. I mean, the finals just wrapped up and the NBA just wants to stay in the news. And they have the draft already this Thursday with Victor Wembignana, Wembignama going first to the Spurs. That I mean, that looks like a done deal already. Uh, past that, it looks a lot of question marks and a lot of moves to be made. So I, I hope the Bulls bring in some new young talent. Um, in the draft, and they're able to trade back into the draft. We'll see what goes down. But usually there's there's one or two big deals, and, and 
with names floating out there like Dame Lillard um, on the trade market and Zach Levine too. He's been on the trade market as, as all-star caliber players. Um, things are, things are bound to go down come draft day. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I, I can't wait for draft day. I don't anticipate the Nuggets will be making a lot of moves, but uh, there's a chance that Bruce Brown declines his player option. So they might be looking to fill a, a three and D option. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this off season. Uh, and it sounds like you are as well. Um, I, I, I want to leave off the NBA talk on this because I was just shocked yesterday or this morning when I saw this tweet. Uh, if the NBA Finals went to seven games, it would have ended last night. Wow. Isn't that insane to think yeah. about? And then the draft four and days later. Yeah. yeah. I I saw a tweet that said that, and I was just blown away. I was like, thank God the Nuggets ended it in five because I don't know how much longer I could have lasted. My heart was just racing the entire Finals. And if that was stretched out to this past weekend, I would have just been on, uh, I don't know, nails the entire time. Like, I, I just would have been so nervous. So, uh, thank goodness that we ended it in five. But, uh, but yeah, I, I just wanted to send that out to the people who, uh, you know, are also blown away by that because I, I couldn't believe it when I heard that. Yeah, um, we'll see. We'll see what goes down, but the Nuggets, I mean, during the finals, picked up. They weren't sitting on their heels. They they made that trade with the Thunder and picked up an, another second-round trip pick for this year's draft and a first for next year's draft. So we'll see that there's going to be a lot more deals to be done. I think the Pacers have, like, five picks in this draft, and they can't use them all. They already have, like, ten players on their roster. So they're going to be trading those picks to somebody. And I, for me, I hope it's the Bulls because we have no picks – and we definitely have some roster spots to fill, and it would be nice to fill it with uh, a young player or two um, come draft day. But we'll see. Uh, obviously, the NBA season doesn't start for a long time, but um, and, and neither does the college basketball season, which you know my reigning UConn um, national champions, the Huskies. They just brought in a sharpshooter uh, grad transfer from Rutgers. I just wanted to give that shout out. I know that has nothing to do with the NBA, but you know how big of a UConn fan I am. And I'm looking forward to Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, and, and Adama Sanogo all getting drafted um, on draft night um, come this Thursday. Hopefully they all get drafted and see their dreams fulfilled um, playing professionally and moving on from UConn. Uh, but that, that does it for our NBA talk for now. I'm sure we'll have a little recap of – of the guys are nuggets and, and bulls and, and some, I'm sure there's going to be another major deal or two that drops um, on Thursday night. So we'll keep you posted on that next week, but till then we're going to do a little recap of the U S open and the U S open this week was, was won by Wyndham Clark. Amazing story. Um, genuinely. I mean, the, the kid is, I, I call him a kid. He's 29 years old, but, the man has been through a lot, um, especially with his mom um, and, and her battle with breast cancer. And that story was incredible. And, and I couldn't I couldn't be happier for, for the guy who ended up winning the tournament. Although I, I wasn't, I, I'll be honest, I wasn't rooting for him fully. 
I, I was happy that he won. I would have been happy pretty much with anybody winning. Rory, Rory McIlroy hasn't won in forever. He finished in second. Scotty Scheffler, number one player in the world, was in it to the end, but he didn't end up. But Ricky Fowler, who just last year was the first alternate in the U.S. Open and didn't even get to play in the tournament, and then this year he's in the final pairing with Wyndham Clark. He didn't end up winning, but um, – his Oklahoma State teammate did end up winning. So um, he seemed very happy for Wyndham. And uh, I think both the both of us are very happy for Wyndham Clark. And, and his life just, just changed for the better. Um, and he definitely earned it. He looked he looked extraordinary. He his short game was off the freaking charts. I mean, if I if I could putt, if I can make, I'd say like a tenth of the putts that he's capable of making and, and the lag putts he's able to do, I I would shave, I would shave like nine strokes off of my score, but that's just not possible. I don't have that talent. And uh, it was really incredible to see the golf that was played this weekend. And on father's day, it made it that much more special to, to be able to be watching it with my dad. So it, to me, it was a great weekend of golf, and which made me feel a little bit better with the Yankees getting swept. My U.S. Open team was able to take down your U.S. Open um, drafted team. So I am the golf expert of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are the golf expert. I'll, uh, I'll take my trophy of guessing the baseball score. Um, unfortunately, I could not guess, uh, you know, the golf tournament this weekend uh but yeah u.s open was incredible i agree it was really cool to see Wyndham win and to hear his story was just uh i mean remarkable and very emotional so uh i'm i'm happy to see him win i uh unfortunately had picked roy mcelroy so i was rooting for him at the end but i I mean he just I, i don't he looks so good but like the fact that he didn't make a single putt outside of like six feet, just like I don't know, I, I, he it felt like to me he was playing super careful, and you just can't do that and win a major. And I, I know he knows that, and you know maybe he in his mind he was like I got to play careful because on this course this afternoon a bunch of people are gonna lose it and have blow up holes, and these last three holes are very difficult. I, I get that point, but on opportunities throughout the day where, you know, he was playing easier holes and, and knowing that he needed to get pars on the, you know, last three par fours that are all over 500 yards uh, coming in. I I felt like he just needed to do a better job of, you know, birdying. And uh, obviously he was on many greens and regulation. I think he had like 16 of 18 holes uh, greens and regulation. And um, he just had, uh, very few one putts. I think he had one the entire day. So, um, it, I, uh, I, I don't know. It, it felt like a veteran mistake to me. Um, it felt like a tournament that he very well could have won, but again, I'm really happy for Wyndham Clark and I, I wouldn't rather it any other way. I just, uh, I don't know. I, I felt like I needed to poke at Rory just a little bit because it, he knows what it takes to win a major. And, in this case, it took just a couple of birdies. Like that's that's all he needed. Two more strokes, and 
yes, it's very impressive that he had like 17 pars or whatever he ended up with, but um, it's just, it's painful to see him lose that way when he was just on the cusp the entire day. He was a stroke behind and um, just couldn't pull it out. And yeah, it was a very tough course. Impressive that he stayed as steady as he was, but Wyndham was just the better golfer on Sunday. I agree. I, I think Wyndham was able to make that crucial up and down on 17 and chip it close. Yeah, and when he got stuck in that thick grass on eight, the easiest hole on the golf course, the par five, he was able, he, he didn't get out of it on the first half, but when he got out and chipped it over the green, the, the announcers were like, this is like, this is a double bogey. Like he's going to lose the lead right here. He ends up going up and down on eight as well. Um, from off the green to to save bogey there and i think that was a great uh, it to to go back onto the back nine still with a lead was was huge for wyndham clark and it just you're right rory just needed to make a putt outside of six feet and he had opportunities why i think he missed he missed like a five footer um he three putt I think it was 14 if, if yeah. I want, want to remember correctly. And that, that was it. That was kind of, or maybe it was eight as well. It might've been, eight. it was one of the par fives. It was either eight or 14 that he yeah. three, three putt. And you just can't have that. He, he was the best ball striker out there. He was in the least amount of trouble all day. And even with that, even with making, I think he, he put it, he was on like 15 or 16 greens in regulation and to make one birdie all day, that that tells you that the putter was was just letting him down. And uh, you know, they say you know drive for show and putt for dough. And I think that is that is exactly what happened on su- on Sunday with Rory. I mean, he was the best ball striker out there. Drivers, irons, everything um, up ne- until up near the green. His uh, his short game just wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah wasn't where Wyndham was, was able to, was able to accomplish on, on Sunday. Agreed. Yep. And yeah. uh, I mean, definitely was a great story. Um, you know, not wishing that Rory had won, but, um, but yeah, it, again, just felt like a missed opportunity, but, uh, but yeah, I, I want to give all the respect to Wyndham because he won. It's not that Rory lost and I'm not one to, you know, go down that route. But uh, but Wyndham deserved the win, and he he fought very hard throughout the tournament to to get that win. So, um, so yeah, hats off to Wyndham, and uh, congratulations on your first major. Yeah, congratulations, Wyndham Clark and Beal. I'm gonna make a proposition to you for the British Open coming up next month at Royal Liverpool. Uh, this one for one, Rory McIlroy, he's going back. To, I mean, he's from Northern Ireland. This this tournament's going to be in the United Kingdom. Um, so as a European player, they usually tend to play better in the, in the British Open because it's a Lynx-style course. So, I mean, he'll probably be, if not the best odds to win the tournament, top three odds at least. So he's got an, he'll probably have another really good opportunity at Royal Liverpool to take home um, his fifth major. And... I would be happy to see see him win one, but not to yeah. take away from that, this also gives us an opportunity for you to take back 
the golf expert mantle of this podcast from me. So I'll give I'm you excited a, for that opportunity. A, a double or nothing chance in the British Open. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to draft four players, and you get a bonus for each player that you choose over the other person that makes the cut. And we'll pick one long shot, and three of the guys who we think are are going to win the tournament. We'll each pick a foursome, and we'll run it back again. Word, I love it. Because I, I think this was really fun to to keep track of, and and an, a nice little way to to you know test our our golf knowledge and 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 how we thought players were going to perform coming into the week. So, yeah, yeah I, I think uh, I think that was fun. So. Yeah, it was a fun time. A hundred percent agree. Yeah, so we'll run it back, and uh, I'll put my uh, now that I've won back to back in the Masters and the U.S. Open. I mean, to finish out the major season with the British Open, if if I can sweep this season, this twenty twenty three season, you know, you're gonna have to come come up here and uh, up to Virginia and beat me in in actual golf to, to shut me up a little bit about calling myself the golf expert. I mean, right now you are. Um, I played terribly on Saturday when I went to play golf, so I don't have the highest confidence in myself right now. But uh, I, I'm, I'm getting back at it. I'm, uh, I'm going to be playing some golf in the next couple of weeks and uh, hopefully, hopefully get my score down for this summer because – Quite frankly, Saturday was an embarrassment, and uh, Sunday was as well losing the U.S. Open to you. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I hope for you that you don't suffer more embarrassments. But you know, I had my fair share with the Yankees getting swept by the Red Sox, so uh, it, it's all kind of evened out. Yeah, it, it has, and and your Nuggets just won it all. So ride the high for a little bit. I, I'm still riding my high from UConn taking home the national championship this year in college basketball. So I will be doing that for a long time. I mean, all of next season, I'm going to be saying that UConn's the reigning champs every time I talk about them. So it'll get <laughs> old to hear. Uh, but I mean, you could do the same thing with the Nuggets, and and I, you know, I will tip my hat to you because they they earned it. So. But till the next major, till the NBA draft, till then, enjoy your brunches, your lunners, your sunsets, your sunrises. We love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting us. And uh, Beal, take us out. Sweep.